Okay, if you haven't picked up how this all goes down now, I'm going to open this up, and I kind of just ramble for a minute. As soon as Stephanie's ready to go, she'll try and grab us a hold and point us in the right direction. You just be ready. Yeah. You look handsome. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Debrief, a weekly Q&A show with your friends here at Sandals Church. My name is Justin Pardee. I'm hosting you guys today across the table from my friend Stephanie Schaefer. What's up, guys? Of course, we got Pastor Matt Brown at the end of the table, the PMB. Yes. The head of you, the table, not the end of the table. Oh, the head of the table. You you were just saying that you didn't want to wear Apple Watch, but yet I'm noticing you've got a some form of a smartwatch on right there. Yeah. It actually looks like a small bus that was miniaturized and <laughs> yeah. attached to your arm. It's a triathlon watch. Oh, okay. Mm. All right. So I well, just got out of the pool this morning. Okay. So I was exercising. I swam a mile and a half this morning. What did you do? Uh, I taught a class. Taught some mm-hmm. computer students some things. Mm, and here's here's the other thing that I want to uh, just tell all of our debrief watchers, listeners, and all those things. Uh, just prepare your hearts right now. You may need to reach out for some soul care at the end of this episode because we are ending the trilogy of mm. Brett Ryan's appearances back to back to back. Our staff expert on guilt, shame, broken relationships, hurt, and all kinds of other baggage. That's why he's sitting next to you. Here yeah. he is. Yeah, it's all been, it's just been for you, Justin. We were hoping you'd take advantage at yeah. some point. But. We were hoping that the proximity would bring healing. Mm-hmm. Well, we got some good questions on the show today, yeah. some of we which do. maybe came in under aliases. We're, we're excited That's to true. see if you can help us out. Brett, thanks for being on the show and helping us uh, deal with some baggage. Yeah, yeah. thanks yes. for having me, guys. Coming in here yeah, alongside, yeah. alongside Pastor Matt Brown. Yeah, so today we are diving into the topics of guilt and shame, and we actually got a ton of incredible questions in, so we're going to try to get through all of those today. But Brett, do you kind of We're diving just... into those topics. We are diving into In Pastor Matt Lingo, we're going to pound the liquid on those topics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was... Triathlete. That's yeah. a triathlete I think he was more top. talking about drinking water when he yeah. referred to that, not swimming. Oh, pounding but... the liquid? Here's, here's the problem. Oh, okay. I now want to buy one of those watches. Why? So that way when other very athletic people see me, they may think that I'm as athletic as Ooh. they are because that's what yeah. that watch represents. You have yeah. an Apple Watch and you've got the sporty version. Yeah. Spoken like You're a like very unhealthy three. Right? <laughs> So I'm surrounded by threes yeah. right now. Yeah. Oh. You've got like the hybrid though. You've got the Apple Watch, yeah. but it's a little sporty. So yeah, you're like you have the, the sporty band. That's the Nike band. You're so sp- no, 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 no. This is like the $5 knockoff <gasps> oh. one because I, I didn't want to pay the $50 for a Nike band. Oh, wow. crazy. Mm. Thanks for being real with us and honest. Right there. Yeah. You could have hidden behind what we thought was a really great watch right? band. I could but- have done that. But I will have a triathlon watch uh, the next month or so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Pastor Brett, would you kind of start laying the groundwork for us on guilt and shame and how they tend to affect us, how those tend to show up? And how they've we... infected, impacted your life. Did you yeah. say infected? Infected, <laughs> infected yes. hey, my life. If that works. I only had one coffee so far today, guys, so you got to bear with me. Yeah. So, what's pretty interesting and, uh, you know, usually in these episodes, we talk about research, we talk about like parts of our body that are interacting and things that people are dealing with. But what is very interesting is that there's very little research on shame. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there's a there's a lot of research that's starting to come out. Brene Brown is one of the leading researchers for that. And she's done an incredible job um, helping the community understand shame. But, you know, shame is not something where even in our brains, neuro, neurobiologically, we don't fully understand yet. And I think a lot of that is because it talks about value. It's about identity. It's about you know who you are and and how things affect you. And so, I think just to lay out the groundwork, the first thing we need to do is just understand there's a big difference between shame and guilt. Okay. Um, so shame is I am bad, 
it, it's a value understanding. Um, guilt is I did something bad. Mm. And so a lot of times when we talk about shame, people talk about guilt. They're saying, well, I did this bad, so this is this. Um, but it, it can't be used interchangeably. And we got to separate that out for today's episode to understand that you know conviction and guilt are usually used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, and conviction and guilt usually prone us to do something different, where shame is prones us to isolation, mm-hmm. um, to, to being uh, afraid of reaching out to people um, and to really devaluing us where we want to numb by mm-hmm. either dissociation or alcohol use or you know many of the other things. People seek out different kinds of coping mechanisms because if I am bad, then there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why shame has such a, such a huge hold on people. So um, the other thing I think it'd be important to mention is this, is that <clears throat> shame has no time limit. And so people don't always understand this, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago when you know dad's mad at you all your life growing up and the right part of your brain forms first, which is your emotional experiential side. And you don't have the logical understanding or the development in your brain to kind of say, well, dad's just mean and dad you right. know, is just drunk when he said that or dad's having a hard time. You own those parts for yourself and you grow up 30, 40, 50, 60 years later still believing that about yourself mm-hmm. and those messages that your dad put upon you. And mm-hmm. so um, it doesn't have to just be dad, but um, you know, shame has no time limit. And so for many times people will have this, you know, this understanding of shame. And then 20 years later, if something else happens, it almost, it's their confirmation of, yep, see, I am bad. Mm-hmm. And then they keep going in it. And it's a pretty hard cycle. Uh, for what are you most deeply ashamed? Um, sitting next to you <laughs> on the deeper. <laughs> wow, that was so good. I wish I could have, that was a, a man. I got to get quick yeah. on this. Yeah, dude, respect. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> all right, we've got a lot of questions about people's guilt, shame, all those kinds of things. But we got a couple of really cool closing questions, uh, really with this concept of baggage mm-hmm. that have come in over the last couple of weeks. This first one came in from Alexis saying, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you, when you, what do you do when you've, how do you know when there you've had go. a real collision? I'm, we're missing yeah. a word there. A little bit of context. Pastor Matt, you wow. talked this weekend about having a collision with Jesus <laughs> and the whole concept of conversion, which I thought was incredible. So if you guys haven't listened to that sermon yet, make sure to check that out. Yeah, the show is in English today. It is. Yes. Okay. It is. We're feel, just missing a keyword from the feel, copy. Feel phase. free to read it in English. Here we go. How do you know when you've had a real collision with Jesus? I constantly do things that are sinful, so I sometimes think that maybe I haven't had a real collision with Jesus since I continue to do these things. Yeah, absolutely. So that that uh, that's why I want everybody to go back and read um, Luke uh, chapters three, four, and five. So Jesus is around Capernaum. Uh, the name Capernaum uh, in Greek is uh, a translation of Kafar Nehum uh, in Hebrew, which okay. means the place of healing. Which, of course, where does Jesus do most of his miracles? You know, I think I believe it's eighty percent of his miracles are done in Kafar Nehum, huh. um, Capernaum, as you say it in Greek, and so. Um, uh, it's just an amazing place. It's a small town. It's not. It's not a big town. I mean, when I say a small town, like the size of uh, California Baptist University, like mm. like walk go if, if you're not from around Riverside, not big. I mean, just mm-hmm. literally may, maybe a hundred acres. I mean, maybe smaller than that. Very mm. very small. So people knew each other. Um, small vi- uh, fishing village. So Jesus is doing these great miracles. People came from other towns all throughout uh, the region of Galilee, which is northern Israel to come and see Jesus. So Peter knows Jesus. Peter has these interactions with Jesus. Matter of fact, Jesus is in Peter's home prior to the conversion. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that I don't think I did a really good job this week in communicating is, and every person um, that's frustrated with a family member or a friend or even a spouse or your kid that's not coming to Christ, look at Peter's life. It takes multiple encounters with Jesus. 
hmm. multiple collisions before he finally is ready to change. And so that's what I would say to our person that's asking the question is, the difference is not the collision. He has repeated collisions with Jesus where Jesus continues to pursue him um, and, and, and call him out. And ultimately the catch of the fish for whatever reason, right? I mean, we God gets all of our attentions in 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 bizarrely different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he just does, right? Just different things hook us, catch us, uh, get our attention. God speaks to us in various ways. And for whatever reason, man, maybe Peter's having a tough year. You know, he's trying to provide. Now he's in charge of the family fishing business. Things aren't going well. A lot of guys who run businesses feel this pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a, I've got kids to raise. I've got my 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 wife's depending on me. I've got a sick mother. You know, Jesus healed her. You know, but she's older. She's aging. So so we don't know all that background story. But he's feeling enormous amount of pressure. And there's something there's something about the fish here. And so what I would say. What's her name? Alexis. Alexis. That's what I thought it was. Alexis. What what I would say is. Uh, the collision is two things. W- one, it's an encounter with your sin, but also it's, it's an encounter with God's plan for your life. And mm-hmm. so the reality is um, so much of repentance is actually coming to the place where you agree with God that things that you're doing are bad. When we truly believe that, we're less likely to engage them. Like I don't smoke cigarettes. Cigarettes are not appealing to me because I believe they're bad. I believe that. And that's not to make any of our smokers feel terrible. That's just why. It's not It's not appealing to me because I, I have that belief. I, I believe that it will wound me and I don't need to smoke. I live in Riverside, dude. The air's already smoky, right? <laughs> so, um, and so, so that's the thing. It's why I, I don't look at pornography um, because I believe it's bad. I believe it's not good for me. I believe it's, it's, it's degrading of what God has called me to do and what I believe sex is supposed to be. You know, this, the, uh, the, Sexual union comes out of a spiritual union that has been, you know, pro- proclaimed in front of God, family, and friends. And so I believe that. And so, okay, now I'm going to walk in that. But you have to wrestle through that. And um, that collision is an encounter with Jesus where you realize there's he has something better for you. And that's where we need to not negate the fish. Uh, the fish are so important. So many fish that two boats, so think about it, not just his business, but someone else's business can't bring in the catch. And that's the thing is, is so many of you guys, you know, you want God to bless your life, but but here's the reality. God t- God cannot take you where you're supposed to be until you trust him where you're at. That's mm-hmm. the reality. You just, you just have to trust him where you're at. And so that's the problem is we all want to be somewhere else. And God's saying, trust me right here, right now. You know, Peter doesn't have an encounter with God at the synagogue. He has an encounter with God at work when he's done with work, right? So think about us. That, w- that for us would be on our commute home. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe that's what's happening right now. Some of you are listening to the debrief on the way home and God's just literally colliding into you. So please don't collide into anybody else. You know, pull over if you need to cry because you need your eyes to drive. Uh, don't pray, Jesus, take the wheel. He's put you in charge, you drive. So um, so that's what it means is we need these multiple collisions. And so here's what I would say, Alexis. I too, especially as a young Christian, continue to sin. That's why our vision is so important, continuing to be real. You need to be in community with people that love you and care about you. Um, you know, I'm in community group right now, and there's a young man in my group that that proclaims a lot about Jesus, but very little in his life adds up to that. And I gently, lovingly point that out every week. It's like you're you're saying this, but you're you're doing this. I, I believe the psychological term is cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Is that the term? Mm-hmm. So, so if you don't know what that means, it means we do things and we act in ways that we know are false. So like we will lie to someone even though we know that's bad. And, and and sometimes we even force ourselves to believe the truth. So there's 
there, there's a problem there. And so that's what happens. That's, that's the misery of the Christian life is you continue to live in ways that you know are not right. And so um, here's the thing, Alexis, that part of following God is developing new habits. I've been thinking about this idea of a series. Uh, a friend of mine wrote a book called Holy Habits. Um, and, and just that idea that a lot of what we do is habitual that's both good and bad. And so what we're trying to do, like right now, you guys can all pray for me. Uh, I've been having incredible low back issues. I'm trying to change the way I sleep because that be, that seems to be the thing that like, I wake up in the morning, it's like I fought someone all night. Like I'm in a, just weird positions. I don't know what's going on. And I'm trying to train myself to sleep on my back with my knees propped up. It's misery. Hmm. It's misery because I have 47 years of sleeping on my stomach and that's a problem. And I'm trying to break that habit by creating a new habit. And um, my wife just laughs every night as I set my pillows up because she knows I'm going to last like 10 minutes and then <laughs> I'm going right back to the normal thing. And so just know I, I've got to break these habits. But once I get through, once I get to that point, it's going to be easier. You know, the hardest the hardest part of doing anything uh, is working through what I call, you know, really four stages of, uh, of starting a new habit. And so the first thing is overcoming, I don't feel like doing it. And so that, that's the problem. If, if we felt like doing good things, we, we don't need the gospel. We don't need Jesus. We don't need, you know, we don't need religion at all because, right, if we all just follow our hearts and do what we feel, you know, it, that's going to be a mess. And so it's overcoming, I don't feel like doing this. Like, I don't wake up every morning feeling like exercise. I don't wake up every morning feeling like, you know, reading my Bible. And then the next step is, once you start is, why am I doing this? Like, it hurts. It's hard. New habits are hard. Starting to swim is hard. Starting to run is hard. Like, so, so it's, I don't want to do this. Why did I do this? And then there's this point somewhere where it's, I'm not going to make it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. And, uh, but, but what I've learned is, is when I finish whatever the habit is I'm trying to do, whether it's eating right, it's fasting, it's praying, that fourth step is glorious. And it's, that was awesome. I made it. So if I can work through those three steps, of, I don't feel like it. Um, why did I do this? The pain of initially starting, and then I'm not going to make it. The doubt and fear. If I can overcome those three things, I get to celebrate with, "Wow, I did that! Um, wow, I accomplished that! Wow, that was amazing! Wow, it was all all worth it!" Um, you know, um, and that's just the reality of anything difficult, and anything worth doing is going to be difficult, mm-hmm. right? Because if 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 Difficult things were easy. Everybody would do them. Everybody would be rich. Everybody would be disciplined. Everybody would be fit. Everybody would pray. Everybody would be faithful, honest, right? That's the reality. Um, we just we just have to understand that. So Alexis, first thing, give yourself grace, uh, right? Um, what Brett talked about, shame is I'm no good. Guilt is I have, I have messed up again. And so the reason, right, we acknowledge evil in our life is because we're children of God. We're called to be different. So so shame says, I'm no good. The gospel says, I'm a born again Christian created in the eyes of God. And I'm like Jesus in his eyes. I'm deeply loved. I'm completely forgiven. I, I'm, I'm accepted into the, to literally the throne room of God. That's who I am. So I can come with boldness, but I need to come with confession. God, as a child of, a child of God, I've acted like a child of Satan. I've done this. I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen. Uh, I've, I've had sex again. I looked at porn again. i God, I, I don't take care of my body. I, I don't do the things I need to do. Lord, please forgive me. And, and 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Man, that's the gospel, right? And so we run to him with that. And so you've heard me say many times, don't run from God when you sin, run to him. 
And that's the thing. Every single weekend when we have altar call, it breaks my heart every week how few people respond. Like if we were all honest, we would never get out of here. Like 90% of us would come forward every week. I mean, there are weeks when I'm done preaching, I'm like, man, I need to go run out there and go to the front and pray. And, um, and that's just so, so important that, that, we, that we do that, that we practice confession on a regular basis because it's, it's healthy. And so what I would say, Alexis, is simply because you're conflicted, that tells me you've had a genuine collision. The people that I worry about are the ones who don't ask your questions. The people who haven't had a collection, collection, a collision are the people who think it's all good. It's all good. I'm totally good. Those are the people where I'm like, I don't think you ran into Jesus. Uh, because what I hear in your heart is there's a stirring, there's a wrestling. And I think that's great. That's what God's called us to. And so, um, and let me say this, I, I believe we're gonna have multiple collisions with God for the rest of our life, right? He's right. the pursuer. He's coming after, after me. And anytime I go in the opposite direction of him, I'm headed for a one-on-one head-on collision with God. And, um, and sometimes just like Jacob who wrestled with God, so many Christians don't realize this, he wrestled with God all night and for the rest of his life walked with a limp. When you wrestle with God, you lose and you feel it for the rest of your life. And it's not that God wants to judge us. It's just that, that, that pain is a reminder so that we don't go back down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the thing is, I think we forget too quickly you know, why we do that. My wife and I had a great conversation um, this weekend. She was just sharing with me how the Lord spoke to her in a powerful way. And I actually thought, wow, that's an incredible sermon. But she just was talking about how the Lord has delivered her from some things. And, um, you know, Tammy just told me, she said, I feel like God said um, to me, I I didn't ask her permission to share this. So everyone pray for me. Uh, (laughs) But what she shared with me yesterday was, she said, I feel like I'm Lot's wife. She said, I feel like God's delivered me from Sodom and Gomorrah and I'm looking back. And she said, the Lord just spoke to her and he says, as the dog returns to its vomit, so you return to your sin. And so God has delivered us from some of these things. And sometimes we forget, oh, but like we remember the good times. We remember like a a toxic relationship or um, like everybody remembers, oh, you remember Vegas? Yeah, when you puked in the toilet bowl and you know, Mm -hmm. licked where people pooped, right? I mean, (laughs) you remember that? So what we do is we, we tend to forget the negative things. And so like Lot's wife, we look back, oh Lord, I can't, I can't leave Sodom and Gomorrah. And she's turned into a pillar of salt, if you know the story. And so um, that's one thing we have to remind ourselves is at, at some point we're gonna forget, you know, what does it feel like um, to have sex before marriage and be rejected? We forget, we get lonely, we, we're by ourselves, you know, it's, it's difficult. And so we engage in that again and oh, once again, boom. And, you know, I mean, God may not turn you into a pillar of salt, but there are deep consequences for what you do emotionally, physically, and spiritually, mm-hmm. and, and you're just wrecked. And so uh, just be thinking about that. Um, you know, I used to just hate, um, you know, so much of the mistakes that I made because I knew better. I mean, I knew, I knew God's word, I knew God's truth, but those mistakes, man, those wounds have, have allowed me to be more faithful because I know, mm-hmm. I know what, what that's like. I know that pain and I am not going back. I, I'm not going there again. And so, um, you know, uh, like I've had to have the conversation with my wife about what I looked at on the internet. Not fun. I mean, man, I'm like, this sucks. I am mm-hmm. never doing this again. Like, I, mean, I man, you know, it's, it, it sows a mistrust. It hurts. You know, it wounds. Oh, ugh, not doing it. Yeah, actually on that... <clears throat> 
topic, kind of one more question as we kind of wrap up the baggage series. Stephen actually asked, he says, I'm dumping my baggage fast and I have plenty of it, but how can I help others deal with the baggage I've caused them? So those wounds that you're talking about, how do you help others start to process through? Yeah. When, when Stephen says, I'm dumping my baggage fast, I'm picturing that guy from the bumper video before your sermon, yeah. just like running through the airport, throwing yeah. all his bags yeah. at different people. Yeah. Um, well, I think you need to be very careful uh, about that because sometimes re-engaging a person that you've wounded or hurt can cause them more baggage and grief. Mm -hmm. And so um, it also, especially with relationships can confuse. Like if someone didn't want the breakup and now you're, 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 you're coming back, um, you know, um, I, I would, again, th this is so important. So many people seek God for wisdom. God says, seek people for wisdom. Okay, no one gets this. I literally want to lose my mind all the time on Christians who make stupid choices and ask God to bail them out. Well, I just don't know. I'm just praying for God. Well, here's what God's word says. Here's what it says. Wise people seek wise counsel. Listen to wise counsel. But nope, a lot of people just think God's gonna bail me out. God's got me, God's got this, and they just pursue dumb choices. So what I would do is seek wise counsel, people that you can trust, people that know the Lord. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us don't know what a wise person looks like. Okay, write this down. Wise people are usually right. <laughs> okay, so if they have a track record of 20 years of stupidity, they're not wise. Now, here's the thing. Stupid people love to pontificate. They love it, right? The Bible says a fool speaks without end or at both ends, right? I mean, that's that's first Matt Brown, okay? So, so that's the problem is stupid people love to offer advice. Wise people, like wise people don't, dish it out. Wise people know, you know, if you're giving wisdom to a fool, then you're a fool. So, so they hold it. So, so look at people's track record. Are, are, are they usually right? Um, how do they handle relationships? How do they handle situations? Go to those people and say, okay, here's a situation. I'm unloading a lot of my baggage, you know? Um, so I don't know this guy. What's his name? Uh, Steven. Uh, Steve, uh, Steven. Um, lacking wisdom on the show. Steven, <laughs> um, I don't know you. But here's what I would say is, the first thing I would do is maybe one of the big bags you need to unload is pride because anybody who thinks that they're dumping it quickly probably has no idea the depths of the baggage that they have. This is a lifelong process. And yes, we can get rid of a lot, but you know, it's, it's like at the airport, the escalator, just think of every bag coming out of there as yours. Well, it's not the escalator, what is it? It's the... Uh, baggage return. Baggage yeah. return thingy. Something like yeah. conveyor yeah. belt. Oh, what's it called? Yeah. Conveyor belt. Conveyor something. belt, yeah. yeah. Imagine every bag coming out is yours and you're just, you're, you're just tossing them away as they come out. The problem is there's more there than you can toss out. So this is a lifelong process. That's why Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And so the idea there is, right, is I don't have any room to carry baggage because I'm carrying my cross. I'm dying to myself every day and I need to let go of these bags so I can carry this cross. So I can remind myself, I gotta die every single day. So find somebody that's wise, get some counsel. And here's, here's you know, look, okay, I gotta be careful. Um, here's why wise people don't wanna talk to you because you're gonna say, I need an hour of your time. No, you don't. Wise people can handle it in a few minutes. So here's what I would say. Here's a list of things, some questions that I have. Somebody wants to meet with me, write the questions down. Because I, I, I don't have a lot of time. So I do have some wisdom to give. I don't have a lot of time. Write them down and let's go through them quickly. You put in the time to articulate them because sometimes you get flustered, you get frustrated and just say, here, here's what I think. Here's my question. Write it down, sit it to them in advance. Maybe it can do it over email. Shoot, it could be a text message. 
right? Uh, I mean, it's easy for me to sometimes say, no, that's stupid, don't do that, right? <laughs> that's really easy to communicate. So make sure that you value wise people's time. Don't take advantage of their time. Don't waste their time. Don't waste their time. You know, one of my favorite theologians, um, uh, Dallas Willard died, I don't know, five years ago. Right before he died, they asked him, what's your biggest regret in life? He said, wasted time. Mm-hmm. Wasted time. And um, so, so don't waste their time. Make sure that you, you, you respect their time. Make sure that you let them know that you appreciate it. Um, and just say, just say, thank you so much for doing that. And, and listen, listen, right? But don't, don't negate the wisdom of God's people and then ask God for God's blessing on your life. God has put wise people around you to help you make decisions. So um, that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I, sorry guys, that was my pet peeve. No, but I, I can't stand that when people don't listen to counsel mm-hmm. and then expect God to bail them out. So. All right. Okay, let's jump in. It's, uh, it's time for Brett to get excited because we're getting to the guilt and shame part of the show. All kinds of messed up uh, situations going on here. Uh, first question comes from Faith. I struggle with guilt and shame. I'm working on focusing my attention on his grace and redemption. I believe that would be God's. And how can I deal with the anticipated disapproval of others? It makes me scared to open up to people. Then the shame and guilt come creeping back in. You asking me or him? Both of you guys. No, you said him. Oh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Yeah, uh, for faith, I think uh, I think what you're feeling is normal. I think uh, what Pastor Matt was saying earlier when he went to his wife to talk about things he's looked at, you know, I've had those conversations with my wife. Um, and when we're dealing with shame, uh, it, it can be incredibly scary. It can be something that if I say this, they're going to look at me differently. They're going to act differently around me. Um, but I think just a couple things. Uh, first, when you're dealing with shame, open up to people you feel safe with. So I think sometimes people think they need to put on Facebook Live. They need everybody, <laughs> you know, in the world to know some of their stuff. And that's not true, mm-hmm. you know, because um, remember, shame wants us to isolate. So then we think, well, I need to tell everybody. And that's just unrealistic. There's some things we tell certain people and there's some things we tell all people. Right. Um, as long as we understand that that's a, a Christian community that's going to challenge us, that's going to give us wisdom, things like that. Um, and then just understand there's a, there's a process. So just as you've gotten to the process faith of getting to the point where you want to tell somebody, you got to allow them time to process what you're telling them, especially Mm -hmm. if it's something that maybe you've lied about something that you've done towards them without them knowing something that you've done that, um, is just culturally not accepted, but you got to give them time as well. And what I would also encourage you to do is don't look for people's approval in this, look towards Christ as you run this race. So um, Hebrews 12 talks to us about keeping our eyes on Christ Mm -hmm. as we persevere in some of these things. And you said it before, Pastor Matt, the weight and sin. So things that are sinful, but things that aren't even considered sinful, we have to toss off. And so in this, I would just understand that not everybody is going to react great to what we tell them, but that doesn't mean they don't love us. It doesn't mean they don't want to walk with us, but we got to give them time just as we took time to get yeah. to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and to keep your eyes on Christ in it and, and understand that if these people are someone you trust and you love, most of the time they come around and, and they'll back you up even more than before. And so just give it time. Yeah, absolutely. I would just say, just remember when you share something with someone, the same grace you need, you need to give to them. Mm-hmm. So um, yesterday in my, in my quiet time, I was re- I'm reading through, rereading through Matthew and you know, I was just really struck in Matthew um, uh, by the parable of the slave who comes to his master and he can't repay him. 
Mm-hmm. And, and the text says that the master says, I will sell your wife and your children to repay your debt. And the slave begs, begs for mercy and forgiveness. And it says that the uh, master had compassion on the slave and um, forgives him this debt that he cannot pay. And then the story goes on that this same slave runs into somebody else who owes them a fraction of what he owed. Mm-hmm. And he chokes the man chokes the man. And Jesus uh, tells the story that the master hears of this and takes that slave who was forgiven and says, I will throw you into prison until you can pay off your debt. A lot of people don't realize if the man couldn't pay it off in life, mm-hmm. he can't pay it off in prison. He's going to be there forever. And it's, it's just, we, we just need to remember that as Christians. And it goes on to say that we must forgive those as we've been forgiven. And that's the principle of that is so in the same way, we all need to remember this, that we need grace. We need forgiveness when people don't handle that. And man, I've heard this all the time. Um, you know, um, we, we had some uh, families over from the church uh, this weekend to talk about our upcoming series called um, 40 Days of Faith. And one of them shared with me, uh, their daughter doesn't want to say hi to me anymore. And I was like, why is that? And he said, well, because she was waiting in line in the lobby to say hi to you. And when it was her turn, you turned your back and you went the other way. Well, I can tell you, I didn't see this little girl, mm-hmm. right? But in her mind, Pastor Matt and who he is, right? He's wounded me and hurt. And so that's where we have to teach our kids. Look, Pastor Matt needs grace just like we do. We all make mistakes and we have to forgive him. And and I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Somebody sees me and they um, they don't like the look on my face. Well, I don't like the looks on my face sometimes, man. <laughs> I mean, it's not my fault. God made me look like this, you know? So um, that's just the reality is we have to give grace, man. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants grace. Nobody wants to give it. Um, and that's just the sad thing is we all want to be delivered, but we want to crucify everybody else. Yeah. And it's just tragic. So make sure that when you confess, you know, people are broken. People are broken. And um, even people that love you may not, may not handle it and, um, uh, and don't know how and aren't equipped. Um, you know, that, that's just the reality. They, they, don't, they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're not trained and they haven't had experiences and, you know, they're afraid, they're worried, they're trying to, you know, CYA, cover their own, you know, mm-hmm. you whatever. Anatomy. <laughs> Anatomy. There we go. Oh, good job. So, good job. Wait, wait yeah. to save that for the children. Yeah. You've got it, guys. All right. So this next question comes in from Jacob and he says, is it okay to be ashamed of myself because of my sexuality? It's affecting my relationship with God because I'm trying to break away from it, but I always have my downfalls. My downfalls still impact me greatly and cause a shame and guilt about even being a Christian. Yeah, absolutely not. No, you should not be ashamed. Uh, I'm assuming he's gay, um, right? I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm assuming that. Um, no, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. Look, we, we don't, uh, man, hopefully I'm going to come out with this book, but it's really, really important. You know, when you're a kid, they talk about sex, the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. Well, my book, I'm going to talk about what the bees are because um, nobody tells you what that is. But, um, and I'm not going to tell you now, I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> but uh, but he, no, you shouldn't be ashamed so here's the mistake um, that Christians have made is we've been trying to convert people's sexuality. What we need to convert is our desires. Mm. Our desires need to be for Christ. Look, any sexualized person, and right, we all have varying degrees of, of, of sexuality. Like, you know, some people are just really, really horny and others are, are just not. That's the, just like some people have appetites for food that I just don't have. Like, mm. I just don't have those appetites for food in the same way that people do. Some people like we're all we're all uh, have varying degrees of uh, struggles, desires, whatever. So here's what we want to do: is we want to say, God, uh, as a gay person, I love you. I, I feel called to follow you. 
Um, you should not be ashamed at all to be gay because, right, God knows who you are. He knows your struggles. He knows everything about you. It's not how you were made. It's how have you been called? That's mm-hmm. the reality for all of us, gay, straight, transgender, confused, whatever. It's not you know, how you feel, but what have you been called to? And what we've all been called to is a sexual ethic that God approves of. And so if I'm going to follow God, I need to follow his um, map for, you know, sexual expression. And so um, that's what I would just encourage you to do. Um, You know, as a a gay person, um, you know, intimacy is going to look different. Relationships are going to look different. Uh, And the reality is just to give you some grace, most of our heterosexual young people in our church are not handling this well either. So uh, that's that's a big thing that breaks my heart is that gay people in our church feel this pressure when our straight people don't seem to feel it mm-hmm. at all. Um, you know, we, we all we all should feel a little bit of what he's feeling, not the shame, but the, the but this struggle of here's where I'm called and here's how I feel. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Christianity from the very beginning begins with a sexual literally command. I mean, the sign of following God is circumcision. What what is God saying? You're gonna love me more than your sex drive. And and the sex drive, especially for men, is oftentimes the most powerful drive we have. So God says, right, you're gonna, you're gonna curb that appetite literally, gonna snip a little off the top, uh, and you're gonna follow me. And that and that begins from the very beginning. And um, we have to, we have to decide: am I going to follow my animal instincts? Uh, or am I going to, you know, follow my heavenly calling? And those two things are very, very different. You know, Jesus says, um, I'll have Stephanie look this up. I believe it's in Matthew 18 or 19 when he comments on marriage. And a lot of people miss the the, the banter back and forth when Jesus talks about how men are married and, and it, men and women are married and what happens. And after he says, the two shall become one flesh, let no one tear it apart. The disciples are really like bummed about marriage. They're not, they're not thrilled. And their question is, wow, how, how, why, why would we do this? And then Jesus says something that most people never even look. He actually says it's better to remain single. And, and then he encourages his disciples to try to remain single, gay or straight, because that's, that's, that's a, that, that life allows you to more, um, be more focused on following God. And a lot of people don't pay attention to that at all. Mm-hmm. And he says, Jesus says, I know this is a hard teaching. Mm-hmm. I know this is difficult, but blessed is anyone who accepts it. Which by the way, is what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He chose to not have a wife, um, which made him less of a rabbi in the eyes of others, right? He was the weirdo. He's the weird single guy from the North. Why isn't he married? Why doesn't he have kids, right? He's th- in his thirties. He's well beyond the, ma- the marrying age. So um, I believe that's in Matthew 18. It's, uh, Matthew 19, 6. Matthew 19, and we'll 6. That verse in the show yeah, thank too. you. Sorry about that, guys. Yeah. Um, so, so just know that that's just one of those nuggets that's in there that a lot of us miss. And so my heart goes out um, to you and just know I love you. I don't care that you're gay. I don't. What I care about is that you go to heaven. And for you to go to heaven, what that means is you're going to have to discipline yourself sexually for the rest of your life. That's just the reality. But let me say this, the same is true for me. When you look at the text, when you look at the kind of people that are cast out of heaven, it is those who continue to live in sexually immoral lives. And uh, we need to all remember that, that we have to discipline our bodies. We have to do that, that, that because 
Christ lives in us. When the Apostle Paul writes, can Christ become one with a prostitute? He doesn't answer the question because everybody knows the answer, no. So why, are you, why do you continue to have sex? Um, and the Corinthians thought, well, God doesn't care about my body, he cares about my spirit. And Paul says, no, 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 no. God cares about your body in that matter. So, um, you know, um, my, my prayer is that we have a vibrant, thriving gay community in our church that um, is, shares the same convictions that I do uh, about what sexuality looks like. And, and I'm praying for a leader and for a group in our church to really uh, create a safe place for people to begin to talk about this um, and, and work through this because I, everybody, I think, or most people long for relationship, long for sexual intimacy. But Jesus says intimacy with God is better. That's what the teaching in Matthew 19, six says. So mm. I'm praying for you, buddy. I love you. And I uh, don't feel bad that you're, you're gay. We should feel bad when we, when we fail and we act out um, sexually. Now, the gay community is going to say, I'm crazy, homophobic, whatever, but I'm telling you, brother, I love you. And so does God. Mm. All right, let's keep plowing. We have so many more questions. This one came in and she says, I was married for 13 years and I'm guilty of being unfaithful in my marriage. And even though we tried to work it out afterward, it ultimately ended in divorce. This series on baggage has really hit me hard and the debrief has helped get me through some tough weeks. How do I overcome the shame I have in what I've done so as to not let it affect other aspects of my life? I feel unworthy and undeserving and many times unlovable. I don't know how to let go of this baggage, feeling that by doing so, we'll be letting myself off easy for what I've done for not only my ex-husband and my children as well. Mm, wow. Man, my heart goes out to you. And um, for anybody thinking about or drifting towards adultery, please listen to her question. Mm-hmm. Man, this is this is where I sit. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I have I have been the first person on the scene after a spouse has found out that their loved one has cheated. Um, I mean, one time specifically, um, I had a, a wife take a bunch of pills. She went into the bathroom, and we discovered that. And I had to throw her in the in the car, and we drove to the emergency room because of where she lived. And the whole way on the way to the emergency room, she's trying to jump out of the car on the freeway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm literally like one hand on the wheel, one hand grabbing her, my wife's grabbing her, trying to hold on to this gal who's trying to end her life because her husband's cheated. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I'll never forget it, man, as we wheeled her into the emergency room, um, or no, that's not true. They pumped her stomach full of- um, The charcoal. Charcoal to induce vomiting. And so I, I go in there and I see her and she has a, a black ring all around her mouth. And she says, don't ever do this to Tammy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, amen, wow. amen, man. I, so I've just seen the heartbreak that that incurs. So let's walk through this. Um, she said, how do I get over the guilt? The shame. Uh, she feels unworthy, undeserving, and unlovable. Okay, let's, okay. Unworthy. Unworthy, undeserving. Undeserving. So, so those two, yes, yes, you are unworthy. Yes, you are undeserving. Man, that's worship. I'm unworthy of God's grace. I'm undeserving of God's grace. The next word though, unlovable. And so here's what the devil does. The devil often throws in a couple of truths and a couple of faults. So yes, you're undeserving. Yes, you're unworthy, but you are lovable. And you are lovable because God made you lovable. In spite of your sin, in spite of your mistakes, you are made lovable. And that is a lie from the devil. You are loved by God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you've confessed your sins, 
if you've repented of this adultery and invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you are forever loved and nothing can ever separate you from that. Um, however, now you have to live in the real world, right? Where uh, adultery has consequences and it has consequences for our kids. It has consequences for our future. For I mean, it, it affects everything, right? The Bible says that adultery will cost a man everything that he has. Um, and in this case, it's cost a woman a great deal. And um, so, so what I would do is you can't change the past. You need to wrestle with that. You need to bring it before the cross. You need to ask God for forgiveness. And then you need to move forward. What does life look, look like? And here's what I would say, just own it. Own, it's, your, it's a part of your story. It's a part of your testimony. Look, God has delivered you from that. You're still walking right in the valley of the shadow of the death because man, a relationship died. Kids are affected. But what does David say? Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let God correct you. What, what does life need to look like now? You didn't trust God and you committed adultery and look what happened. So from this point forward, let us trust God. Uh, the verse that uh, Brett talked about, let us lay aside everything that so easily entangles us, especially the sin, and let us keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Christ Jesus. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two with some modification of my memorization. So, um, so that's what you need to do is, is what are the things that I need to let go of? But here's the thing is, what are some of the things that I need to continue to remember? Not all of this pain is bad because the pain, the memory of that will help guide you and keep you consistent in the future. So um, a lot of times, man, people will be initially motivated to never do it again because of the pain. But then when the pain wears off, they find themselves in the same situation. Again, I could tell you another guy in our church who committed adultery, completely destroyed his wife, looked at me in the eyes and he said, never do this. And then six months later, he is doing it again. And I'm mm -hmm. like, bro, I'm not the one who needed the pep talk. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you needed it. And so, so what we need to do is we need to take that pain and we need to bring it to the cross and let God work out whatever he needs to work out in our life. Because oftentimes we don't have adultery because, you know, we're just sexually needy, there's something else there that's not being met. And so we have to figure out what that is so that if you ever are married again, um, you can work through that and, and you can handle that. So, um, you know, you can't, you can't change the past. My prayer is that you are an example of God's grace and God's mercy to your children and even to your ex-spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, be loving to him, be kind to him, even when he is not kind. He may have given himself permission to treat you terribly. Man, take it and just, and move on and be an example of, of God and Christ to the best that you can. Mm -hmm. What was the next part of her question? Um, I don't know how to let go of this because I feel like doing so will let, be letting myself off easy for what I've done. Yeah, I don't believe that just based on her questions. Does it sound mm, to you no. like she's letting herself off? And it, and it sounds like, I think what people think is when events like this happen, um, once you get through the initial hardship, everything stops and you should feel fine. And there's other questions throughout the debrief where you see people say, I don't get why this is still coming up. And the mm -hmm. reality is that sin has consequences for a long time. So, right. And you know, mm -hmm. sins like this have a, a long-term consequence, which is there's gonna be Christmases that you go and your kids are gonna have a different relationship with you now. And you know, maybe husband uh, marries somebody else and then this and that. And so just understanding that, you know, uh, one, to understand grace well, we have to understand our fall well and God's goodness well, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So it's it's easy for a lot of us to miss grace because maybe we haven't engaged in something like this where grace seems so overwhelming and yeah. so undeserving. And so 
Um, but the reality is um, there's going to be continuous times where you're going to be reminded of this and you have to rest in that grace and then wrestle with mm-hmm. the changed person that you are. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, and just continue to press into that change. And so the devil wants to keep you, you know, where you are, but God wants to take you where he wants you to be. And so you've got to say, okay, God, man, I don't want to be there again. I want to be where you are. And I want you to lead me through this process. And so I just always really encourage you. Um, remember, you, we talked about at the end, what the last point was, I, you have a story to tell. You have a story and talk about that. And, and let me tell you why, for everyone out there who's committed adultery, man, every time you don't share your story, you, you, you are failing to keep somebody in your community group from doing the exact same thing. And so that's the thing is, I remember a couple of years ago, I was uh, challenging um, someone in our church to share their story with their community group. Um, and, and just so you guys know, when people share things with me, they're confidential. I don't share, I don't even talk about them with my wife, uh, which always makes people feel weird because man, is pastor counselor privilege. I mean, that's just the reality. And so what they didn't know is two other members in their community group were going through the very same thing. Mm-hmm. So here's this community group. There's three couples out of 10 couples in this community group. So 30% of the group has is, is suffering through adultery. None of them are being honest and open. Mm-hmm. None of them are being real. They all think they're the only ones. And what broke my heart is a year later, two more of the couples had the same failure. Mm-hmm. And I just think, what if, what if they could have seen firsthand what this looked like? But it's not my story to tell. I don't come into the small group and say, there's a bunch of adultery in here, you know? Um, <laughs> You know, so, but but nobody was willing to be real and it was a totally fake group. And, and let's be honest, most of our community groups of Sandals are fake. It's only as real as you allow it to be. That's- Sorry, Jeremy. Yeah, that's that's the reality. No, I mean, right? Nobody mm-hmm. nobody wants to be exposed. Nobody wants to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why, you know, John 3 says that we come into the light because we're not afraid of our deeds. We And, and if we have bad deeds, we, we want them exposed to the light. And that's what drives out darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's my favorite quote from Martin Luther King, darkness cannot drive out dark. Mm. And that's just the reality. And so when you keep your sins hidden, they're in darkness and they're not, they're not gonna be gone. And um, we, we all need to expose them to the light and we need to learn. Um, and again, you know, I mean, that's my prayer for my kids. I don't want my kids to have to relive the life I lived. So what I have to do is share my story. Mm-hmm. Here's what I did. Here's why this matters. Here's why you need to know this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, my kids are, two of my girls are dating and one of them said, dad, I just don't feel like you, you, you don't trust me. I said, I do trust you. I don't trust your desires. Mm-hmm. And, and I was clueless about my sexual desires as a young man. I was clueless as about how powerful they were. Mm-hmm. I thought I could manage them. And so because of that, I was ignorant and didn't listen to wisdom. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that, you know, my kids will listen to wisdom. But in order for that to happen, I have to be honest with them. And that's painful, right? To admit to your kids the the stupid choices and mistakes that you made. I mean, that's awful. It hurts. Um, yeah. But Becky actually sent in a question on this. She was asking, how do you teach your kids in a healthy way to deal with the guilt then of doing something wrong? How do you help your kids have guilt in a healthy way? Yeah, well, I, it's called remorse, man. I mean, um, that's the thing is you can discipline, discipline kids all day long, but if they don't feel bad about it, they're not gonna grow from it. And so um, here's what I would say to, to every parent, don't manage behavior, manage their heart. So, so, so make sure you look at the heart issues because here's the thing, you know, you can have a great deal of control over your kid until a certain point. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't developed their heart and you haven't grown their heart, um, once they are able to shrug off your level of control, they're gonna do whatever they want. 
And so deal with their heart, bring it back to the heart. You know, is what does God have for you? Is this who God wants you to be? You know, is this right? Is this wrong? And then, and then you deal with, sometimes your kids don't care what right and wrong is. Well, that makes me sad because I want my child to be good. Mm-hmm. I want my child to be a good person. And so, so many times as parents, we want our kids to be athletic. We want them to be beautiful. We want them to be smart. God wants them to be good. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing he's called us to be is to be good. And, um, and so, so try to work that in their heart. And, um, you know, and there's ways to do that. You know, Jesus says the golden rule, treat others as you would, you know, want to be treated and talk about that. You know, Jesus teaches us. Did, would you want to be hit? Would you want your toy to be taken? Would you want these things? Um, so then let's listen to Jesus, bring it back to Jesus, right? So then you're planting in your kid's mind, oh, this is, okay, Jesus, Jesus is smart. He knows things, right? And we're, and we're tying it back to Jesus. And I was telling my wife, we, man, we had yesterday off, we had some good talks just about how grateful I was growing up in church and being taught so many things. Because so much of who I am, I received at an early age, you know, um, like knowing deep in my heart that God loved me. You know, I used to sing this song as a kid and I, I can't remember who sang it, but I am a promise. I am a possibility. possibility. Yeah, you know it. I I'm a great a big bundle of potentiality, yep. right? So I used to <laughs> wow. sing this song with a little you church You guys are gonna kids. go on tour. Yeah, yeah. that was pretty um, good. <laughs> but think about that, man. I was, I was singing that as a kid and I believe that, man. I, you know, I can do something with my life because God has made me to do things and made me to be great. And so even when I got in my later teenage years and I went through some depression and some darkness and screwed up my life, I had that anchor right? The Bible says, raise a child up in the way that they should go and they will not depart from it. And um, my parents didn't have, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of things, but they, they put me in a lot of church. Mm-hmm. And uh, our, our, our church was, was good and it blessed me. And I am grateful for that small Baptist church. Um, I mean, I grew up in a church that has less people than our staff. I mean, that, that's literally um, where I grew up in, but uh, I had some great experiences. It wasn't all good, but but most of it was very, very good. And I'm very, very grateful for the things I'm, I, I, I was taught and the things that I learned. And then ultimately, those became the things that I believed. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, I can't, I just, man, I just can't tell you how important it is to grow up around Christian adults who love you, who believe in you, who don't see you as a source of competition, but want to compliment your life. And they just want to cheer you on. And that's beautiful. And that's what I found in the church. I found in the church people who just couldn't wait to see what God was gonna do with my life. It's just exciting, man. Mm-hmm. It's just so exciting. And, and that's why I think I'm the way that I am. It's the way I, why I think I can celebrate and, and cheer on others because that was what I was taught and that felt good. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I'm grateful for that. So um, let your kids feel bad. It's okay to sit in that. Don't rescue them from that immediately. Let them sit in disappointment and in hurt. And, um, you know, we do so many things wrong uh, with our kids today. We don't ever let them lose. We don't ever let them experience disappointment. Well, that's great preparation for adulthood, right? Uh, and we wonder why these kids are collapsing mm. because they've never had to work through tough things. Um, you know, like I, I even think of like when um, our dog died like five years ago, I thought that was an absolute tragedy for our kids, but it was a blessing. Life is short, Mm. things die, even things we love. Mm. So we need to appreciate them and thank God for them. And, uh, you know, my kids, you know, didn't always like scooping the poop, but they forgot about all that as we drove Reef to the hospital. Mm. 
Mm. You know, and he didn't come home with us. We we left him there. And um, I'll never forget it. You know, everybody piling in the station wagon and, and, and sorry, parents, my kid's sitting illegally in the back with no seatbelts, snuggling reef, you know, as he's whimpering, um, you know, cause he was dying. Mm. And um, man, you know, that, that, was a, that was a difficult moment for our family, but it was a powerful moment. And um, right, things don't live forever, even things that we love. And so we've got to cherish these moments and cherish this time um, and te- teach your kids that, man, life is short. Um, some of your, they'll hate their brothers. Well, you, not everybody gets a brother, not everybody gets a sister and you've been blessed with one. And we need to treat that brother or sister uh, like the child of God that they are. And so, um, you know, being honest, being open and, and just know parents, man, there's some dark seasons. There are some, man, parenting is not for the weak. It is not, it is, it is without a doubt the hardest thing I've ever done, raising a kid and not killing them. So, but my parents didn't kill me. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, oh, man. And it's, it's important too, to remember that the responsibility lies on the parent. Because I think a lot of parents take a back seat to, well, the church will show them or other people will show them. But mm. the reality is the kids are going to learn and they're going to grow in this through parents' interaction. Right. That's, that's who we need to be for those children. And mm-hmm. so to play an active role and understanding that if all they get it is at school and at church, but it's not at home, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Great question. So April says... I struggle with feelings of shame due to suicide. Mm. When people ask me about my husband, children's dad, I cringe with shame knowing he took his own life. I feel less than others and wish so much more for my family. How can or will I ever be able to accept that it's not my shame to carry around in my baggage? And will Jesus forgive me for feeling so ashamed? Yeah, um, it's not your shame. You know, suicide for everyone listening is a terrible choice. Mm-hmm. Don't ever do it. Um, one of the things I hate about our society is we, 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 don't, we don't grieve well and we don't, call, we don't identify sin well as a society. I went to a funeral a couple of years ago where one of my daughter's young friends um, committed suicide and it was like a party. Mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't our church and I'm telling you, and I almost embarrassed my wife. I'm like, I, I've never wanted to run to a stage and just grab the microphone um, because I felt like, they gave a thousand kids permission to do this. Like, mm. this is a, this is a, man, you know, and I just was like, man, this is not good. This, the, you know, suicide destroys the people that you love. It, you know, the people that are counting on you and yep, you're going through some difficult times, but that feeling will pass. But if you take your life, that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that, that leaves a legacy of pain. And that's the thing that suicide does is, um, you know, I've had uh, two, uh, of my friends commit suicide. And so what it does is, well, what, what could I have done? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't invite me into that moment when both of them took their life. I wasn't invited into the room. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't invited. Um, in one case, I wasn't even aware at all of struggles. Um, so, um, so, so what I would say is that is their sin. You're not responsible for, for their choice to commit suicide. Now, here's the hard part. Could you have done more? Sure. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We all fall short. Every single one of us can be a better friend. Every single one of us can be a better husband, wife, uh, kid, right? So own that part, but that doesn't mean that you're responsible for their choice. They're responsible for their choice. And, um, you know, I I think most people tend to be mad at God more than the person that they love. And and that's terrible and that's awful. It's hard to be mad at your, 
you know, your husband, your wife, your kid, your brother, your sister, because they took their life and their decision to end their pain has now baptized you into a life of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, man, it's, it's really, really, really rough. And uh, um, again, I just would encourage people to be real. Um, don't trust your feelings, trust God. Sometimes our feelings are, are, are dark. Um, you know, I want to do a series we've talked about a couple of times, dark thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that keeps, for whatever reason, getting kicked back. And, you know, we heard about the pastor who took his life, um, uh, what was it, two weeks ago mm-hmm. here in SoCal. And my heart breaks for him. Um, and I don't know the level of pain or, um, you know, psychological struggles that he was going through. I didn't know him. I don't, I don't have any uh, idea about that. But I, I know this, that sharing your struggle is helpful. Mm-hmm. Trying to handle it yourself is hurtful. So I think every one of us, regardless of the pain that we're going through, the depression or whatever, sharing that is always going to be helpful. It's, it, it may not ultimately lead to a cure. I mean, some of us, right, walk through the valley of the shadow of death our whole life. I mean, many, many great theologians have struggled with depression, have struggled with darkness. I struggled with it for a period of five years. I convinced myself I would never get better. I, I did. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody does, but I'm telling you, five years is a long time. Mm-hmm. My 30s, horrible, horrible. And um, very, very difficult, but I got, I got through it. I got through it. And, and that's the thing is, is we believe our feelings won't change, but they do. Mm-hmm. They do. Um, you know, there was a period in time in my life where I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt one day I would retire and live in Hawaii. I don't think that's happening at all now. <laughs> I, have, I have zero desire mm-hmm. to go there now. When, when that was the consuming desire of my heart at one point in time. Man, how scary would that have been if I had left Sandals Church, upended my family, moved there and, you know, did my hot dog stand that I was talking about, you know, we'd all be all bankrupt and on social security or whatever. Um, so man, that would have been a really bad decision. So just know this, try to figure out what are some things that you could have done better, but ultimately you cannot hold yourself responsible for their act. Mm-hmm. Th- that in itself is a sin. And so um, again, we talked about the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is there's something wrong with me. Guilt is, are there some things that I could have done that are or were better? Yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, work through that to a point, but you cannot hold yourself responsible. You're not responsible for their decision. They're responsible. And that's hard. That's hard to say this person, it's hard to hold a dead person responsible. It just is. Our society's not good at it. We're just not good. Um, but the reality is, we need to do that. And we need to be able to say that probably with a counselor. I'm really, really mad at the person I love that they took their life and they left me with all of this. So that's that's probably where a lot of the guilt is. A lot of the guilt is really feeling guilty that you're mad. And and, and you need to own that and you need to be honest with that. I, I recently had a friend of mine take his life. And that's the thing that was so weird for me to walk through was on the one hand, I'm mourning and I miss him deeply. On the other hand, I'm pissed. Mm-hmm. at what he did, like not okay. And, um, you know, a lot of people are not comfortable with me talking about the fact that I was very angry at my friend for what he did, but I was, mm-hmm. I was very, very angry. Um, and I had to work through those emotions and I wasn't prepared to grieve and to be furious, um, but I was, mm-hmm. and I had to work through those emotions. And so, um, so what I found myself was feeling guilty for being mad. Mm-hmm. But then I had to work through, no, I, I th- th- right? This is, this is okay. What, mm-hmm. what, 
what they did hurt me. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't negate their hurt, their feelings, right? What they're going through, I can I can embrace that, love them for that, hurt for them for that. But the reality is the decision has now done this. And, um, you know, um, we need to be able to experience both emotions. So what I would just say is you're not responsible. I don't think there's any counselor on earth that would tell you that you are. That you are. Um, um, so that's mm-hmm. what I would say. Any thoughts? Yeah, and April, I would say I, I would uh, encourage you to get some counseling because mm-hmm. your question is worded in such a way that it seems like you are holding a lot of responsibility for what happened um, as you, you feel shame with this thing. And what Pastor Matt is absolutely right in saying is, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is that some people, when they go towards suicide, they think, one, the pain will stop, um, but two, people will be better off right. if I'm not here. And that has never been the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are worse off because uh, now they're furious, but then they feel guilty about it. They think through, what did I miss? And everybody, when they play the tape around suicide, they always go, well, they did say this, and I should have done right. this, and I should have done this. And then it comes with a lot of responsibility that we can't own. And the reality is if someone wants to commit suicide, they're going to commit suicide. Right? doesn't matter if they have the best counselor. doesn't matter if they have the best husband, the best wife, the best family. You know, if they reach that decision, that's their decision. And so, April, um, find a find a Christian counselor, get to see somebody and, and start processing through, you know, what parts do you own? What parts do you not own? And then how do you walk forward in life? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and we'll include some resources on this episode for folks who are looking for good Christian counselors on how to find those, how to get connected. We'd love to help you guys get some help. We're going to wrap up the show now with one last question uh, from Letty, who asks, I think what a lot of people really want to know is, how do you get rid of shame and guilt? In her case, she says, I'm 55 years old and continue to carry the shame and guilt of what I did as a 17-year-old, which if you read her question more, it looks like she had an abortion at Mm -hmm. 17. She says, even as I'm typing this, tears roll down my face. I've since come to Christ and I know God has forgiven me and I feel that I've forgiven myself. Yet whenever it's discussed in church or if I'm around people who have had infertility issues, I'm so uncomfortable. Why am I unable to get past this? Yeah, I mean, um, well, that's one of the great lies of our society about abortion is that um, it doesn't wound you. You know, I remember the old bumper stickers, you know, one dead, one wounded. You remember those? They don't. Mm-hmm. I don't see those anymore, but just in regards mm-hmm. to... Um, what abortion does is it kills one and wounds wounds the mother, whether the mother knows knows it or not. And, um, you know, abortion is just one of those things that, uh, right, I think will not be fully healed until you stand before the throne of God and mm-hmm. Jesus will ultimately have to take that away. Um, again, there are some things that we do uh, in life that we're going to walk with a limp for the rest of our life. And and that's just that's just a part of it. Now, some women I've talked to have have reached a place of healing and that's great for them. But there are others who just feel like Letty feels that they're that, that that's just not. And so, what I would say is, um, every time you 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 feel that sense of guilt, um, immediately take it to the cross and start talking about the truth. What is the truth? The Apostle Paul was a murderer. Okay, well, who did he kill? Stephen, the greatest preacher of the church, the greatest orator of the church. He's responsible for the death of Stephen. He's responsible for the arresting and deaths of many Christian leaders in the early church. And here he is going from church to church and speaking in these churches now because he's been converted. He's been changed. He says, one thing I do, I forget the past and I press onward towards that which is in Christ Jesus, that is onward and upward in Christ Jesus. And that's, Letty, what you have to do. You have to press forward. Um, So think of pressing as effort. It's going to be effort for the rest of your life to press forward and trust 
God and say, God, I need, I, I need you to strengthen me in this. I need to have the strength to forgive myself. Um, I went through a, a similar situation where I, was, I couldn't forgive myself for something I did for 10 years. And I went through um, some counseling and then eventually a thing called deep healing where I discovered that I had what was um, called out as um, uh, deception in my life. I was being deceived. And uh, it was a powerful moment. It was a strong moment. Uh, but Letty, you may have that same um, demonic power of deception. And what the devil says is you can't be forgiven. You cannot receive grace. And I think that that's what we all do is, is what I was doing is, but I knew better. I knew better and I did this anyways. And I could preach the gospel to others, but I could not receive it myself. And when that got called out in counseling uh, with a fellow pastor, I'm telling you, it was literally, literally like the forces of hell were sucked out of me. It was powerful. And I was set free. Now I cried for three hours after counseling. I went to In-N-Out Burger, which is where Jesus would go. Mm-hmm. And- That's uh, where I'm going. Yeah, ate a burger <laughs> and, and wept. But it, it was something that I'd carried for 10 years. And it seems like you've been carrying this your whole life. The reality is it wasn't a 55-year-old who had an abortion. It was a 17-year-old girl who was scared who is afraid, who didn't have her right mind. That's just the reality. And what you need to do, Letty, is you need to go back and talk to that 17-year-old girl with a counselor. And you need to forgive her because she needs grace. Mm. Yep, she sinned. Yep, she ended a life. Yes, that happened. But, um, and again, this is, this is why in our culture, we need to trust God. Don't have sex until you're married, until you're in a loving, safe environment where if you're pregnant, it's a celebration rather than a doomsday event. Um, so go back to her and forgive her, forgive her. Um, she doesn't know what you know. She doesn't have the experiences that you have. She hasn't walked the life that you've lived and give her grace and set her free. And when you forgive her, I think you'll be able to forgive yourself. But that's what I've noticed is we judge our past with our present wisdom mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. Um, can Jesus forgive even a horrific sin like abortion, and it is horrific. It is. It is wrong. Uh, I would pray that every young woman would listen to Letty's pain and make a different choice. Mm. Now, here's the good news. Um, The good news is the gospel is real. Forgiveness is real. Um, And we can trust God. We can trust God in that. And and here's the thing, Letty. Let me just give you a little just glimpse of hope. And I, I don't know this, but Isaiah when he sees the kingdom of God and he sees the new heaven and the new earth, there are children that are there, which is odd because Jesus says in the kingdom of heaven, there will not be marriage. So there's no procreation. Nobody's having sex. Where are those children coming from? Mm. Letty, I believe that that might be your kid that you're gonna raise and her life is going to be real because what does the, what does Revelation say? Behold, I make all things new. I make all things. He makes all the tears go away. He writes all the wrongs. It's as if all of the sin and heartache in our life was a bad dream. You ever had a dream where it was so real? Mm-hmm. It was so real. Um, one of the worst dreams I ever had was involving my son. And in my dream, I lost my temper and I pushed him and he fell off a building and died. Mm. And I'm telling you in my dream, it was like someone stabbed my soul. It was the deepest pain. 
and hurt that I'm guessing only a parent that's lost a kid could feel. And I, 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 I couldn't breathe and I thought I was gonna die because my kid died and it was my doing. And I woke up crying and sweating and I just said, thank God. I felt it all, but it was gone. And that's what I think heaven's gonna be like. Mm. Um, Letty, I don't know that to be true, but I'm telling you, there are kids that are there that are apparently wanna put their hands in the dens with vipers. <laughs> That's what Isaiah sees. <laughs> and there are lions that want to lie down with the lamb. So, um, you know, there's a beautiful, beautiful picture there, but God makes all things new. He's going to write everything. And, um, and I think that you can trust that and, and you can believe that. And, but you, what you have to start trusting is that God can forgive you. Um, because if you don't, what it's gonna do is destroy your life. And that's why Satan is the father of lies. He wants you to feel sick about this for the rest of your life. He wants you to feel terrible. He wants you to wound yourself. He wants you to never be able to love, embrace. He, never, he wants you never to live in the light. He wants to hold you down in that darkness. Jesus wants to pull you out of that darkness, right? Think about the woman at the well. Think, think about her, think about her life. She probably had some abortions. I'm sure five husbands, the guy she's current, she probably is living in prostitution. Man, um, in the ancient culture, man, they would just, if they had the birth, they just leave him dead. That's what they would do, mm-hmm. especially if it was a girl. <clears throat> if Romans, you know, I mean, th- we actually have letters. It, it, honey, I, I hope that your pregnancy goes well. I hope that it's a son. If it's a girl, just please discard it. L- that's literally what they do. They would just throw the babies in the dump. That's the Roman culture. Because they wanted males. They wanted male sons. And man, so the gospel is real. It's real. And we have to trust that. There's a reason, Letty, that the cross is so bloody. It's so ugly and it's so terrible because that's what it took to save you from your sin. And that's why in worship, you need to never miss worship again. You need to come to church. You need to be a part of the gathering of the saints. That's why I said every week when we, when, you know, and you usually do the call at Hunter Park, it always boggles my mind how few people come mm-hmm. forward. And what that means is they, they don't know. They don't know. Um, you know, the apostle Paul says, this is a truth that everyone should accept among sinners. I am the worst. That dude, Letty, wrote half your New Testament. He said he's the worst among all sinners. So he then goes on to say, and Christ selected me so that his mercies would be made available to all who have sinned. God picked the biggest idiot to save idiots. And um, man, that, that's just powerful. And we need to know that. So Letty, just know I love you. God loves you. I, I, I'm sorry for what you did. Uh, and everybody listening, every young girl, guys, this is why we need to minister to our young men not to have sex before they're ready to be dads. And this is why we need to counsel young women. Um, if you sin and have sex, don't fix it by having another sin, which is abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, bring your babies to Sandals. Bring them. We'll mm-hmm. find a place. Bring them here. Um, we'll take them. So, uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of families that would love to care for your infant that is a gift from God. Um, and um, seriously, Bring them here. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One thing, obviously, we can connect Letty to support and help and counseling through the soul care work that you mm-hmm. lead, Pastor Brett. But also, I think all Christian pregnancy crisis pregnancy centers, especially the ones we partner with here at Sandals, mm-hmm. have groups that are designed to do this. Mm-hmm. What's cool about that is that's a group where everybody's going to be real about what it's because it's all mm-hmm. it's set up around mm-hmm. uh, the idea of healing uh, emotionally from. Uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, and we can put some links to that in our show notes as well. We'd love to get you guys some All resources. that'll be online at debrief.show slash 118. Mm-hmm. 
It was a good, it was a good little run here. Pastor Brett, having you on the show. Thanks yeah, for that. Great. Yeah. I was going to close this out by singing the rest of that um, pr- promise song, but it just doesn't feel doesn't feel right anymore. I don't know. Right. Yeah. No, don't. So good we should sermon. close out with "Amazing Grace" that was written by a slave trader. Um, uh, a lot of people don't know his story, um, but the 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 beat to the song "Amazing Grace" was sung by the slaves beneath the ship. Hmm. So it's an African song. We don't know the words of what they were singing, but he took the, 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 the rhythm of what they would sing beneath the ship. So think about this guy, um, literally took slaves from Africa, brought them to America, Brazil, um, you know, a lot of the Caribbean countries and sold them. And when he came to Christ, here's the lyrics, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Um, and if you read your Bible, the apostle Paul specifically says there are types of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And one of them are slave traders. Mm. Mm. But here's the good news. The gospel is real, even for someone. And think about how many slaves died in the bellows of his ship. Mm. Most of them didn't make it. They died. And the ones that did make it, they were rewarded with being sold. And so he was so brokenhearted and haunted by the ghosts of, of the people that he bought and sold. And when he came to Christ, he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. And um, it is truly amazing grace, amazing, amazing grace. And um, just thankful for the fact that even slave traders, which may be the worst that a person could ever be, if they repent of their sins, if they're converted, can be saved, Mm. so.